THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. From the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 551 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Jesus, get on with it. Nerds, my name is Matt Bum. This is why they told us we'd never make it past 550. <laughs> and I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's Countdown to Turkey Day episode, we take a break from reviewing X titles to put our review spotlight on Scott Snyder and Charles Soule's Undiscovered Country and BM Bendis' Legion of Superheroes relaunch. After that, we're going to review eight more of this Wednesday, November 6th, new comics while sipping on the cocktail of the week during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're rapping about our must-read picks for next week. And finally, we check in with Wooly Toots for the Swords and Scrolls report. It's all happening on this improperly winterized episode. But first... We better talk about this week's nerd news. It's fucking cold out there. It's cold. From the how long are we going to milk this dumb joke about news desks desk, Scott and Cassie Lang are reuniting once again for a new series debuting this February. Ant-Man by writer Zeb Wells and artists Dylan Burnett and Mike Spicer. Well, not Sean Spicer. I get that confused every time. Uh, They will put the father-daughter duo back together when a seemingly small-scale incident becomes potentially world-shattering. Here's a quote from Marvel's description of Ant-Man. The series will open with Scott Lang down on his luck and desperate for adventure until he's looped in for a job only he can accomplish. What begins as a seemingly unheroic task for local beekeepers rapidly (laughs) escalates into a conspiracy that could threaten the Earth. Throughout this journey, Ant- already does, man. That shit is happening. You know, bees timely. are in trouble, and when the bees go, we go next. Yeah, that's how it works. Throughout this journey, Ant Man will not only have to prove himself as a hero, but as a parent to his daughter, Cassie Lang, as well. A superhero herself, Cassie will be joining her dad as Stinger, as the father daughter duo embark on this bug filled quest together, along with many of your other favorite Marvel superheroes. That's fun. Stinger? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in case you missed it, and I did. I did. Uh, so. Cassie Lang as Stinger was first introduced in uh, the MC2 universe in the 90s where Spider-Girl came from and stuff. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Yes. No. Uh, Screw you, MC2 nerd. She officially took on the role of Stinger in 2016's Astonishing Ant-Man number six. If that counts, then Lil Juggy counts. Lil Juggy. I am not dealing with that shit. J2, baby. (laughs) J2. Here's the solicit for Ant-Man number one. Marvel has not specified the length of the series. Uh, Ant-Man 1, written by Zeb Wells, art by... I read all this. That means it's a limited series in the sense that they're going to write it until it's canceled. Until, yeah. <laughs> they're going to write it until our next news story comes yeah. out. Until such time it gets canceled! <laughs> Ant-Man returns! We're going to have a cover by Edward Petrovich. Ant-Man is back and doing better than ever. Uh, at least according to him. But Stinger and the anthill he's living in say otherwise. <laughs> Desperate to raise his daughter's opinion of him, Ant-Man takes a job from local beekeepers only to uncover a global conspiracy that could topple the world order. No time to call the Avengers. This sounds like a job for Ant-Man. No, okay, like this sounds fun. And I like this creative team and it'll probably be great. 
aren't we at a point where Ant-Man is no longer a loser? They really milked this Scott Lang being a loser thing. Yeah. And he's been an Avenger for, like, decades. Like, at some point... Yeah. I'm sorry, but, like, even, like, the worst professional baseball player or whatever... It's still a professional baseball player. Still can get a job, you know, like, outside of professional baseball doing something, Like, when Hawkeye, in the 80s, when Hawkeye, like, needed a gig, he's like, I'm Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. I'll be your head of security. Sure. Shady Corporation. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, Hawkeye, come on. I'm Ant-Man. I can shrink really small and do shit. You're telling me that Reed Richards isn't blowing that guy up every week? Like, hey, I need you to come shrink and jump. Yeah, exactly. Out. You exactly. know, I, like, come on. Uh, but I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I was like, okay, can we please, like, have Ant-Man have a story where he gets his shit together? Yeah. I mean, like, and don't get me wrong. It's funny, but it, I feel like this joke is over. They hit it, they hit it a lot. It's time to move on. From the other Ant-Man desk, Ant-Man 3! Speaking of ants. A.K.A. Ant-Man and the Wasp 2. <laughs> Two-time Ant-Man director Peyton Reed is signed on to return for a third film in the franchise, according to The Hollywood Reporter. The Hollywood Trade reports that Paul Rudd is expected to return Scott Lang, <laughs> but doesn't mention the franchise's other primary actors' statuses. Yeah. What do they got going on? <laughs> okay, so the lead here was Paul Rudd is expected to return. <laughs> like, we haven't signed this contract All this yet. really means is that they signed the director. I get it, I get it. Third Ant-Man is anticipated to begin filming in late 2020, early 2021, with an eye towards 2022. Back in October 2018, Reed said he was hopeful for a third film, and definitely Paul Rudd has been very vocal on Twitter and on a bunch of late-night shows. Like, he wants to do more Ant-Man. Yeah, why he, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Great gig. I feel like the Ant-Man movies are, while they didn't make as much money as some other Marvel movies, they also didn't cost anywhere near what it cost to right, make the other right. Marvel movies. Well, they were also so... They were still huge successes. Yeah. They just weren't billion-dollar franchises. I mean, that's what I'm saying. On paper, they're even probably larger successes because they're profitable. cheaper to make. Yeah. yeah. And this character is now universally loved. Paul oh, Rudd yeah. is universally yes, loved. Absolutely. I mean, you can't go wrong. He just here. wants a chance to go on... He just wants another chance to go on Conan and show that clip from The Good Son. Yeah. <laughs> You see on Halloween, he dressed as Weird Al and Weird Al dressed as Ant-Man. Yes. And, and Weird Al threw a fit. He's like, you're always one step ahead of me, Rudd. It was great. Yeah, I can't wait for this. I want more Ant-Man movies. I, Definitely. Like, the spectacle is fun. The, the interlocking story and the spectacle of the MCU is fun. I love it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yes. But I also love, just give me a fun, standalone movie, even if it's not necessarily comedy. Like... Black Panther was pretty standalone. Right. Doctor Strange was pretty standalone. Well, look, we need to go and figure out what is in the quantum zone or the microverse or whatever yeah. the fuck we want to call it. We need to go back there, figure out what's going on there. I don't we know. Never got to that, that again. They got to do it. They've got to do it. They went into the quantum zone in the first film. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we didn't talk about all the other stuff that the Wasp mentioned and shit like no, that during the second time film, there. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, like, there's way more, and I need to know it. And Bug needs to be there. I need bugs. I'm just going to have to get that up. Uh, from the Gotham City desk, I guess, Colin Farrell is in talks to play another comic book supervillain, this time potentially taking the role of the Penguin in director Matt Reeves' The Batman. Huh. This news comes from Deadline. Of course, Farrell previously played the villainous Bullseye. I'm sorry. <coughs> bullseye. Bullseye. In bullseye. Bullseye. In 2003's Daredevil opposite Ben Affleck, the previous actor to portray Batman. Uh, actor Jonah Hill was previously reported to be in talks for the role of Penguin. You guys, how'd you screw that up? <laughs> you I, really? had it. Yeah. You had it. They, they were like, nah, we want the Penguin to be hot. 
200,000 times sexier yeah, than Jonah Hill. Irish would be great, too. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Andy Serkis is in talk to play Alfred Pennyworth, according to The Wrap. Serkis worked with the Batman director slash co-writer Matthew Reeves in his Planet of the Apes films. In addition to playing comic book roles such as Ulysses Claw and Captain Archibald Haddock, that's from Tintin, Circus oh. is also set to direct Sony's untitled Venom sequel. Circus is going it, to direct it? I'm calling it Venom 2. Yeah, Venom 2, Red Venom. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we if, all agreed on that. Yeah, right. If cast, Farrell and Circus will join Robert Pattinson as Batman, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Paul Dano as the Riddler, and Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, this cast is stacked. So, okay, but here's the thing. Everything else that you just read is pretty spot on. Like, I can see those actors playing those parts. I can get to Circus as Alfred. But uh, circus Colin a, Farrell as Penguin is I mean, weird. I mean, like, it's a slightly different take on Alfred, but you want to say, like, Alfred is an older, bigger dude? Okay, whatever. Andy Circus is not big. Andy Circus is a pretty big dude. No, he's not he a big dude. Seems Ulysses Claw, he was ripped as hell. Well, yeah, he was, sure, he was ripped, but he's not, like, a pro wrestler. He's also not an old man. He's oldish. Oldish. I'm oldish. He's in his 50s. I'm no, I'm no freaking Alfred. I always picture Alfred as like, look at the last people that have played Alfred. I mean, they've all been late 60s. Andy Circus is 55. Alfred has been way older than that in every single aspect of Alfred. I don't think he's as old as you think he is. He's not like Aunt May old. Let's look at the actors that played him. You've got Jeremy Irons. You've got Michael Caine. And then before that, we had the super old white-haired guy. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. But Alfred in the comics is not portrayed as that old. No, I guess not. I mean, and that's fine. I'm a big deal with that. Uh, uh, the guy from the from Gotham was like a brawler. Go- okay, first of all, Gotham uh, just don't take, give me that. Just, it's a portrayal of Alfred. You just take Gotham out nope, of your Batman. Sorry. Mouth. Okay, I fucked that. All right, I'm not talking about Gotham. <laughs> It is excluded. Uh, right. Who played Alfred in Gotham? But Colin Farrell uh, is the penguin. I mean, Sean like, Pertwee. Sean Pertwee is the same age as Andy Serkis. Great. That means nothing to me. And we're talking about Gotham. Gotham is a terrible show. And he, he was a good Alfred, though. Gotham's also supposed to take place in the past when Alfred was much younger. I'm just saying. I'm just saying he was much younger. And the show sucks. Anyway, <laughs> Colin Farrell's a penguin. Uh, I mean, whatever. I, I Part of me says... The Penguin, part of his character is that he is a shorter, fatter dude. Well, uh, at the risk of having this whole thing again on Gotham, they did a totally different take on the Penguin. I'm not. Okay. Can we please just stop talking about Gotham? No, because it was a legit. Whether you liked it it or not, it was was a legitimate portrayal (laughs) of these characters. No, no, it wasn't. Doesn't count. I hate it. Nobody likes it. It's awful. Lots of people like it. It ran for five like it. seasons. Even people that like it. Jason Sachs called in and said, oh, it's the worst. I can't stop watching it. I love it. I don't <laughs> think he said it's the worst. He did. He used the words train wreck and car wreck. We're discussing it. <laughs> All, right. All right. Back to the matter the at hand. I'm not afraid of like Farrell's performance. And I think Farrell no. could probably do a schlubby guy if he wants to and there's nothing that says the penguin needs to be three foot tall and 250 pounds and go Wah! you know <laughs> like i don't need that necessarily so i don't know i just think that this cast is really shaping up with it's some stacked. big names it is stacked well this i is, don't know what to expect from it but this is also another batman film and warner brothers cannot screw this up 
They can't. Oh, sure they can't. <laughs> no, this is a loser goes home. This is like a loser leaves town match is what this no, is. Do you know how many bad Batman movies there have been? I'm, yeah. Many. That's the thing. One more? No. You, you think one more and people are going to stop you being interested in Batman? not do it. You are delusional. I am not delusional. They're almost completely uninterested in Batman now with where we ended up with the Batman versus Superman try and murder each other bullshit. Where are you getting this? They, those movies made money. Like, I know Justice League wasn't the biggest hit that money. they wanted it they to be. They made money, but they were also universally pretty much banned. The only people no. we have defending them now are the Zack Snyder bros yes. in their parents' basement and shit. Again, I you mean, really misunderestimate the size of these groups. <laughs> the Joker buried, buried that movie. And that money. was a completely... Totally off the wall take on the character. I, I get it. That's what I'm saying. So there's you a did, president. They can do it. They did a take on the character that was closer to Batman than the Joker is closer to the Joker. And that movie, yeah, made some money, but it's a fucking afterthought joke now. I think that if you think this is a this if is you, a loser leaves town match, no, I'm saying it. If you think that people will stop caring about Batman because one more bad movie gets made, you're fooling yourself. I think they're in serious trouble if they make another stinker. I don't think this is turning. Even if it's a stinker, it's going to make money. I hope that doesn't mean success anymore. It does to them. It does to them. I'll give you that. It does to them. Thank you. (laughs) Argument over. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while squinting and watching The Lighthouse to picture Batman with a chowderhead accent. Yeah, it's like Pattinson's like, yeah, we parked the car uh, around uh, here yard. <laughs> so hit us up on the THN Forums Big News. <laughs> so hit us up on the THN Forums Big News section, or better yet, tune into Cover to Cover Live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. I said Central Daylight Time, but actually Sunday was the end of Daylight Savings Time. So we should have been saying Central Daylight Time for the last like six months. Time is just constant, bro. Time is a flat circle. Let's get the quote right, you dumb hick. You want to believe in that crap? Go ahead, man. Just something some dude made up. (laughs) It's more fun than writing Rudy Giuliani in prison fan fiction, and you control the content. This week, we're talking your favorite private dicks. That's detectives. Yeah. Detectives. Detectives. Hey, I said that, (laughs) and you told me to grow up. Uh Uh-huh. So call 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. And if you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It is spotlight review time in the ziggurat, where this week, Joe and I are giving the Xbox a break. Until the ludicrous speed round, anyway. But right now, we are talking about dystopic U.S. future fiction and the pairing I would have bet you 100 G's in my left arm you would never see Brian Michael Bendis and the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> Joey, get this segment rolling, will you? All right, this week I am reviewing, as Matt said, Legion of Superheroes number one from DC Comics, written by BM Bendis, art by Ryan Sook, inks by Wade von Grabadger. Partial inks. He didn't ink the whole thing. Yeah. Colors by Jordy Belair. Tired. Well, no, Sook inked some of his own work. Oh, okay. Colors by Jordy Belair. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Buckle up. This is a long review because I have many feelings. Uh, I'm not going to read the solicit. You know what it is. Last week they called it the most ambitious mainstream comic book ever created. One of. We'll see. I've been a fan of the Legion of Superheroes for as long as I can remember, literally. Their classic adventures from the Silver and Bronze Age are some of the first comics I ever read. 
I'm pretty attached to the team, and I get a little worked up every time they're rebooted. While this latest attempt shows a lot of promise, it's off to a somewhat uneven start. This new Legion has a lot going for it, a high-profile writer, an incredible art team, and some exciting mysteries for longtime fans like myself to try and decipher. There's a Dr. Fate-looking guy with four arms, some kind of gold lantern. I need to know what that's about. Unfortunately, Bendis doesn't really give us any answers to those questions. Yes, it's the first issue. But we also just had a two-issue prequel series and a couple of issues of Superman leading into it. And yet, I still found myself wanting more setup. There are several jokes in the issue about Superboy not watching the orientation presentation that the team prepared for him. That was great. I wanted to see the presentation. (laughs) Show me the presentation, please. After an exciting opening scene with three of my favorite Legionnaires, no joke, Wildfire and Starboy are my favorite Legion characters of all time. The issue kicks into full-on exposition. Do you know where you are? The issue kicks into full exposition mode where Superboy meets the team and we learn about the fate of the Earth. This is where the script went a little off the rails for me. I have an undeserved reputation for being a Bendis hater due to my criticism of his team books in the past. But it cannot be denied. Every character in this book sounds almost exactly the same. All of them. All of them. All of them. All of them. Uh, We'll talk about it. All of them. We'll get there. We'll get there. I think Bendis struggles when his cast is too large, wanting to give every character at least one moment to shine rather than fleshing out their characters over time. Instead of putting the focus on one or two point of view characters, like seriously, this could have been told from Superboy's point of view. There are two dozen characters spouting single lines of dialogue that sound like they could have come from any one person. This first arc is ostensibly This first arc is ostensibly about Superboy joining the team and he's barely the focus. Now I understand how he would be confused and curious about the future, but he just flies around shouting freak frantically. We'll get in it. We'll get yeah, it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I've not seen anything. Another small criticism is that this issue doesn't line up with the prequel series at all. At the end of Millennium number 2, Rose Forest our uh, our suddenly immortal vigilante from Metropolis shows up just after Superboy joins the team. Here, she already has some kind of working relationship with them before Superboy even arrives. Now, I know it sounds like I hated the book, but there's still a lot to like, and the enthusiasm of the Legionnaires is infectious. I really can't say enough about how gorgeous this issue looks, which shouldn't be a surprise, Considering the presence of veteran Starman Inker, Wade Von Grawbadger, and color artist Jordi Belair, Ryan Sook has completely redesigned the world of the Legion, making the team more appropriately diverse and alien, which is exactly what a collection of heroes from other planets should be. Yeah, without a doubt. New Earth is an incredible visual, a collection of domed cities spinning, tethered to a core of energy. Everything actually feels futuristic, which is sometimes a problem with with future books set in the future yeah beyond the designs though sook keeps things exciting through the use of some impressive double page spreads and really inventive panel layouts like there's one two-page spread where uh the panels from left to right there's like six or seven of them and they kind of shrink in size as you go from yeah yeah from left to right it was incredible and then the next line uh they grow in size as you go from right to left just it's so Cool looking. The amount of stuff that Sook drew 
in this oh, yeah. book. It's like, it's crazy. He's going to, but like, but you do this for a year and then you kill yourself? Like, what do you do? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he, he lasted like six issues into action comics yeah, before somebody else I took mean, it. So now, even though it wasn't everything I hoped it would be, and I am willing to say that maybe my expectations were high and I set myself up for disappointment, I did like it. I'm giving Legion of Superheroes number one a buy it because I am really excited about the potential of this new future and its links to the current day DCU. It's definitely a reboot. Throw everything you know out the window. I'm intrigued by these new Legionnaires and the future world Ryan Sook has designed is absolutely breathtaking. I do not care about the Legion of Superheroes and I have never cared. I've read some good stories, but I've never truly cared about the, the characters at all. I loved this. I loved it. I like it was infectious and ridiculous. And I will give you that. Yeah, there was a lot of characters saying a lot of stuff, but they are kids. I get it. We forget that the Legion of Superheroes are kids. This is like if you go to a high school and listen to a bunch of kids all yelling and stuff and trying to do something. No, this I get is it. What they sound. Like. I get it. But to <laughs> me, like the old things that people used to tease Bendis about really reared their head in this issue. Like literally. This comic book ends in mid-sentence. Yeah. I shit you not. But, like, it's also the Legion of Superheroes. It's a bunch of hyperactive kids that are all freaked out and super excited that their hero, Superboy, is here. Like, they can't even control themselves. Like, but yeah. The, the last page, that, the last page doesn't even have the Legion in it. It's I, the president of the United Players yeah. being all pissed. But she's also like, what? <laughs> and it ends in mid-sentence. Like, what? I honestly, this felt more human more real and more funny and exciting than any Legion book I have ever read. This it's is very, it's fresh and new and it this feels is the Legion like of Superheroes for people that don't care about the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, That's what it is. It's a great entry Just point. Just like Hawks and Pox or X-Men yes, books for people absolutely. that don't give a shit about X-Men. That's what they're doing here. It's working for me. I, I chuckled through most of it. I loved how the kids like were making mistakes and obviously they're still learning stuff and like they're not all totally great at what they do. Like when what's his name? Ultra kid or Ultra Boy. Ultra Boy shows up, he's like, Oh, just me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean that was like, and they're like, God, Ultra Boy, what are you doing? <laughs> like it's not that I didn't like the banter, but so you're not a Legion fan, so you're not necessarily gonna uh, yeah, like, to know this. But the thing about the Legion is that the cast was so huge. Uh, creators of the past did an excellent job giving them all distinct personalities, and I'm, I didn't get any of it. I'm sure. This felt like a group of kids to me. Yes. And, and I like that aspect of it. And, like, the things that you're pointing out, like the characters you didn't recognize and shit, to me, it was just like, I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch of weird aliens sure. here. I'm in. Cool. Uh, and, I'll and, about that guy. And, like, and my my... The thing I said about not getting enough information, that's not necessarily a criticism. That just, it's just like, I want it. Right. I'm, I'm so excited and about it. And that's great. Yeah. Like, I am super excited to read more of this, and I've never been able to say that about a Legion book. It is a huge buy it for me. I loved it. Yeah. There you go. Oh, you have to do your review now. I'm reviewing Undiscovered <laughs> Country, number one from Image. It's written by Charles Soule and Scott Snyder with art by Giuseppe Comunicoli and Danielle Orlandini. Covers by Jock. 44 pages for $3.99. Again, I'm not going to read this listed here because I read it last week, but let's start with 44 pages for $3.99. Now, a little peek behind the curtain. We read a lot of the books that we're going to review on this show on Wednesday, because that's when they come out. Yeah. I was terrified 
Like, oh man, it's a 44 page book. I don't know if I'm able to finish my review in time. Now we do get some preview copies in advance. That's true. Image is one of them. I was in luck because in reality, you're getting about 25 pages of story and a lot of back matter. A ton of it. A little bit about the world, a little bit about the history, a little bit how Jock did the covers. (laughs) There's also a lot of two-page spreads. Yes. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing with a story this bizarre and huge in scope. Snyder and Soul have created a very convincing real-world, near-future, complete with excellent designs by Communicoli and Orlandini. After page one, I forgot Communicoli was even working on the book at all because the art was so It's definitely clean. a departure for him. Yeah. That, is, that is not to say that his style is rough, but it is very angular, usually. I want you to say something for me. Yeah. Communicoli. Communicoli. You're, you're, you're putting way too many vowels in Communicoli. <laughs> After... I had to go back and look for his style. Yeah, I did the same thing. And it's there. Yeah. But wow, this artist has taken a major leap in his work. The beginning of the story is a very familiar, fast-paced drama. There were spreads with lots of specialist talking heads setting up the seriousness of their own predicament and the mysterious communique from the United States. Time flashes forward and backwards like a good Tony Scott film before the book takes a decided turn <laughs> for the completely bizarre. I don't think you should say what it is, though. I'm not going to. Okay. <laughs> this is a powerhouse creative team setting up a very well fleshed out world fighting for the survival of society while dealing with the mystery of what happened behind the walls surrounding the US. I can say it's certainly not what I expected. Yes. But I trust Snyder and Soul to take me on this ride. If nothing else, I need to see where it goes and the very very strong art team pulls you through the book by your nose. It is a weird story, and I'm not sure what's happening, but I'm giving the first issue a huge buy. Yeah, this was unexpected. Yes. Uh, When when the book takes the swerve, and you'll know it when you get there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) uh, I was unprepared. Yes. Like, legit shocked. I was like, what? Uh, Because they had me up until that point. Not that they lost me. I'm just saying, like, I thought I knew what I was getting into. Yeah, like, you're like, oh, the future, dystopia, like, different governments fighting this and that, and then all of a sudden they're like, butt sex, butt sex, butt sex! it's like, what? What's the hardcore (laughs) anal penetration? Uh, Uh, We said we weren't going to spoil it. Oh, damn it. (laughs) Damn it! Uh, Forget we said that. (laughs) Delete, delete, delete! Um, Yeah, when it hits the swerve, I was, like, gobsmacked. And from Mm. that on, from then on, I was like, What's happening? Yeah. I want to know what ha- what is happening in this country. Uh, it was a fun ride. It's a little talky. It needs to be. It needed to be. It needs it, to there's be. A, there's a complicated world we're dealing with and here. And the dialogue was really good. It was like it was setting up the mystery, giving you little bits and pieces of not only the world, but who these characters are. Like, I yeah. had no problem with the talky parts. No, no. Um, I'm just like, just to prepare the potential reader what they're getting into again some really good two-page spreads yes yes that weren't necessarily like action based (laughs) but we're just Uh, like in this two-page spread we are going to give you a dialogue that pretty much spells out each character their motivation who they are their place in the world like these are two very talented writers working at the top of their game and you know what uh first of all i want to thank undiscovered country number one for being the comic book that finally Got me to learn how to uh, get my comic reader to show two-page spreads side by side. Because <laughs> up until now, I've been like, 
switching back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. God, you are such a caveman. I didn't know it could do it. Uh, second of all, in contrast to another book we're going to talk about in the Ludicrous Speed Round. Uh, you don't this, have to say second of all. You can just say second. Second. <laughs> this book does a, a perfect job setting up its premise yeah. in the 25 or so story pages yes. uh, in one single issue, unlike... X Force number one, a massive premise. With, by the way. Yeah, right, a huge, high concept, crazy idea, and I was like, "Yep, I know exactly," right, or, or at least I, I'm, I'm following, right, what's happening. And when the swerve does come in, you're set up in the world, you know what's going on, and I think that's why the swerve works and makes you want to read more because you're like, "Wait a minute." I thought I knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a buy it from me. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm very interested to see where the story goes. And uh, I, like, what happened <laughs> to this country? I don't know. <laughs> we are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like we might not be far off, though. Yeah, no. You know? Yeah, like, no. As weird as this was, Five years seems plausible. Six years from now? Like, yeah, that could be seems going on. Seems plausible. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Matt Wilson is credited as the colorist, so I'm going to say Orlandini did inks. Okay. Uh, but yeah, buy it from me. Great stuff. So that is a double buy it for both Losh number one and Undiscovered Country number one. That's what the cool kids call Legion of Super. Yeah, cool kids are calling Undiscovered Country. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> we'll post our written reviews over at tootanerd.com so real patriots can read a real American comic review. That's right. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics too, so call this weekend on THN Cover to Cover at its new time. Not really new anymore, but still, 11 a.m. to noon, Central Standard Time. I mean, it's new in the sense that we did, uh, you know, the show for a long time. Yeah, at, uh, at 11.30. Yeah. Uh, and it's new to you if you haven't listened to the show in five or six weeks. Yeah, it's nude to you. <laughs> Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Two-Headed Nerd Ludicrous Speed Round Reviews. We try and get these up as fast as possible so you can arm yourself with the knowledge you need to make an informed, nerdy comic book purchasing decision. Or maybe pick up something you weren't even thinking about. Who knows? But before we get into that, it's time to introduce the cocktail of the week. We are calling it the Time Bubble in honor, that's T-H-Y-M-E, bubble. Yeah. In honor that of the Legion of Superheroes. It's going to make all kinds of sense. Yeah. We got a new um, L-O-S-H book, so we figured we'd make a Legion-inspired cocktail. It is a take on the Boulevardier, a very classic cocktail. Here's what you do. You get your cocktail mixer, add ice. You go two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of Campari, one ounce of sweet vermouth. Very simple. Stir 25 times around, right, with your stirrer on the edges to create a whirlpool and make a nice cold drink. And then strain into a rocks glass. This is where the time comes in. Garnish with lemon thyme. And you can use your favorite Superboy Hero Click. I prefer the old 1990s Superboy Hero Click with the shades and the fingerless glasses. That's not who we're dealing fingerless with gloves. anymore. Though. Pardon me, fingerless gloves. Yeah. Joe glasses Patrick, don't have fingers. Long live the Legion. Long live the Legion. Oh, it's very nice. You can find that cocktail recipe just below this video and, of course, oh, on our post over at TwoHeadedNerds.com. <laughs> Joe Patrick, kiss your nerd. Get your nerdicrest. Get your innocence goodbye, son, because it's time for us to review eight more of this Wednesday, November 6th coming, stirring <clears throat> the ludicrous speed round.
Ludicrous wow. speed! Yeah, beautiful, right? Go! BB Free, number one from Boombox. BB's your average 15-year-old girl living in the fractured state of Florida in the year 2232 with her best friend Chulita, constantly talking to her in her headphones, and her bodyguard, a pro-femme alligator, watching her back. BB and Chulita are starting their own pirate radio station. This comic was magical in every sense. The artist Royal Dunlap has an amazing, chunky, animated style that brings pure joy to every panel, and writer Gabby Rivera brings real authenticity to the characters. BB Free was weird and fun in the style of Brandon Graham's King City, with, but with more girl power. I loved this comic, and I am in for way more, giving it a buy it. The art was so good. Crone, number one, from Dark Horse. Crone number one is the textbook definition of meh. <laughs> Dennis Culver's script is very standard sword and sorcery fare, a simple Red Sonia but old now premise. Oh, Red Sonia got old? Yeah. <laughs> There's a missed opportunity to say something interesting about the life of an aging barbarian instead of the I'm too old for this shit standby. I liked Justin Greenwood's art, but I found Brad Simpson's colors to be kind of lifeless. Crow number one isn't necessarily bad, but it failed to capture my attention. I'm giving it a skim it. New Mutants, number one from Marvel. Ed Brisson and Jonathan Hickman are credited on writing this first issue, and the two pull at every New Mutant Generation X heartstring I have. Magic, Mondo, Mirage, Wolfsbane, Sunspot, Chamber, Cypher, even M, and a bunch of little penances are running around. <laughs> Just two. It's our sisters. Along with the Hellions, every third-gen mutant I can think of has a cameo here, and it made me so damn happy. Danny Moonstar even lays out the complete history of the X-Men in a short conversation with Roberto DaCosta that boils down Hickman's whole world to this point. Something is going on with Mondo and Krakoa, and it's going to become a thing. They sort of touch on it in X-Force, too, which I have a feeling we'll talk about in a minute here. Rod Rice paints each panel to give the title the 80s feel I loved as a child, and Sunspot has never been written this well. I am giving this a massive buy-it. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was good. They, and it's just like, they're just, you like Star Jammers, Matt? Well, they're over here. They're over there. They're all over the place, Matt. <laughs> Go! I love it! X-Force, number one from Marvel! As with past Doc's books, this group doesn't feel intentional as much as a group of characters thrown together by circumstance. There's also a pretty toothless cliffhanger that did shock me in the moment for the split second until I remembered what Hickman spent 12 weeks telling us in yeah. Pox and Pox. Now, the only, there is a, we, we'll get into it on Saturday, but there is a reason why this could be a big deal. Uh, okay. I don't think so, but okay. All of that said, I did enjoy the issue. Uh, the premise of this relaunched X-Force is really interesting to me. It's the Krakoan Intelligence Agency. And I really loved the new role for Black Tom Cassidy as kind of like the ward of the yeah, island. Very cool. I just hope we get way more of the intelligence side of things instead of leaning on the ultra-violence of previous volumes. The art by Joshua Kassara and Dean White is excellent. It really is. Reminding me of uh, Jerome Opania's time on the series. Though the series doesn't finish selling its premise in this issue, X-Force 1 was still a decent read, great art, giving it a buy it. 
Yondu, number one from Marvel. This was good. Finally, the comic book, our friend Orr McWilliams and maybe a half dozen other fans of the original Guardians of the Galaxy is here. It's a story of what happened when future Yondu meets a comic version of the movie version of Yondu living in the present day Marvel U. John McRae is excellent on art, making the corners of modern Yondu's galaxy look like a real dump. Writers Nadler and Thompson have a lot of fun here. I loved, I loved the name of his ship is the Blue Moon because yeah. it's got a giant blue a ass painted on the butt. As it's flying away, this guy goes, "Oh, Blue Moon! Oh, I get it now. <laughs> That's great. This yeah. is a." F- they have a lot of fun writing adventures of your favorite space hick, and the script is legitimately funny. This was a fun read that looks to connect old dirty Yondu to his brave future ancestor that wore a real dumb costume. Yes, I said it. The original Guardians had terrible costumes. At Matt Bomstein on Twitter. Come at me, nerds. Buy it. Lock and key. Dog days. One shot. Mighty W. Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez take us back to Lovecraft in this one shot. The team presents two short stories, both pretty minimal by design. The first is about a group of friends experiencing what it's like to walk in each other's paws. The second reunites us with the Locke family as they rebuild Key House. This was a joy to read, beautifully illustrated by Rodriguez, and it made me desperate for a new Lock and Key series. Dog Days gets a buy it. Yeah, this took me back. I wanted to immediately go back and just reread all yeah. of Yeah. So good. Green Lantern, Black Stars, number one from DC. Graham Morrison's GL book has officially gone insane. You thought it was weird before? Just wait until you read the story of the Japanese horror-inspired galactic demons getting annihilated by the new Black Stars. I'm a little upset they included GL in the name as Morrison was threatening that this new title couldn't even be called a GL book. I uh, follow- they gotta brand that shit. Nah, I know, I know. I followed the first series, so I knew what I was getting into with this new series. And even then, I spent the entire read shaking my head. Zermanico? Zermanico. Zermanico's art is fantastic, but way more sinister for this new dark tale of the Black Stars. I hope Morrison never leaves Hal Jordan because I cannot remember the last time this character was this compelling. I am giving it a huge buy it warning. This is not your everyday average GL book. It's so goddamn weird. (laughs) (laughs) The Magicians, number one from Boom! Having only watched a little over one season of the show and never read the books, I have just a passing familiarity with the world of Lev Grossman's The Magicians. Luckily, this is set after the graduation of the original cast, introducing a new group of magic wielders to Break Bill's Academy. For being mostly full of talking heads, writer Lila Sturgis did a good job keeping me interested in the story. Pius Box art was really nice, reminding me a bit of Michael Lark in uh, some ways. If you love a good students at the magical college story, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting one. Nah. You can't go wrong with the magic hands. I'm giving it a buy it. It was like Harry Potter, but they're doing it more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> squoosh. That is your little speed round. And squoosh. It's the sound of Cosmo Quinn, the human fly, getting smashed in the chest with ice cream cones by his drunken ex-manager. You had to be there. Okay. As seen in the pages of The Complete Terminal City by Dean Motter. Man, I love that book. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Adam Wednesday via The Faces book. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week or suggest a cocktail recipe, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. 
You can also watch the Ludicrous Speed Round on our YouTube channel. These Ludicrous Speed Reviews are usually up even before the show to help you, the discerning comic nerd, make an educated new comic book day buying decision. And hey, you want to help stock the Ziggurat bar? Click on our Donate Now button, buy us a bottle of booze, or just buy us a drink, why don't you? We will even mention you in the Cocktail of the Week segment. You could be internet famous. Wow. Maybe suggest something a little bit more friendly to the girl drink drunks in the room. Mm, don't be a baby. Yeah. You're the only one I can talk to. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we've hacked our Android box to communicate with the future so we can talk some Legion smack with a Legion of substitute heroes. And let me tell you, those guys hate Karate Kid. I loved when Karate Kid showed up at Wildfire. I was like, don't do it, dude. Don't do it. And he's like, <laughs> I am Karate Kid yeah. from the Legion of... And Wildfire was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. He's right. like, and I am Wildfire. Right. I love the pageantry, yes. <laughs> That's great. Matt, let's jog these Legionnaires' memory with our must-read picks for next week, shall we? We shall. My pick for next week is Folklords, number one from Boom. It's written yeah, by it Matt real Kent good. with art by Matt Smith. Too I many mats. Love Matt Smith. Too many mats. You put that many mats in a book, you've got this mats money. Too many mats. I'll tell you what. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. From Narnia to Harry Potter, we've seen our heroes leave the real world for a fantasy world. But in Ansel's world of monsters and magic, he's haunted by visions of our world with tailored suits and modern technology. Whoa. Asterix! Ansel embarks on the quest to find the mysterious folklords, hoping they can explain his visions. Dot, dot, dot. But looking for the folklords is punishable by death! What will Ansel risk to find out about the world he has never truly belonged in? I already told you who writes it. They're super talented. Writer, artist combo. This sounds fun as hell. It's like a kid in a fantasy world that has nightmares about the real world. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Joey, what are you picking next week? Next week, I am picking Far Sector number one from DC Young Animal, written by N.K. Jemison, with art by Jamal Campbell. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here's your solicit. N.K. Jemison, the acclaimed award-winning author of The Broken Earth and Inheritance Science Fiction Trilogies, makes her comic book debut with best-selling Naomi artist Jamal Campbell. Who's really good. Oh, he's good. Yeah. As they thrust you into a stunning sci-fi murder mystery on the other side of the universe. Oh, damn. For the past six months, newly chosen Green Lantern Sojourner Joe Mullen has been protecting the city, enduring a massive metropolis of 20 billion people. This isn't Teen Lantern, right? This is something all new. Different character. Okay. The city has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of and murder is non-existent. But that's about to change. Oh, shitballs. Uh, excited. Yeah. This looks so good. And there's a rumor, the 5G stuff with everybody getting replaced, that right. maybe the far sector woman is the Green Lantern that's going to take Hal's place. Not Teen Lantern? Either one. They they always say it's either going to be Teen Lantern or Far Sector Lantern. It better be Teen Lantern. Well, Teen Lantern's not really a Green Lantern. She just hacked a... She has a machine that hacked the power battery. So what? If she's, fair enough. If she's the only one left, then everybody's gone. I eh, guess, yeah, fair enough. You better I hope guess. there's a hacker around. That's yeah, all I'm saying. The THN Trade of the Week goes to November, Volume 1, the hardcover. From Image Comics, it's written by Matt Fraction, with art by Elsa Chartier. 80 pages for $16.99, and here is your solicit. It's a hardcover. One phone call for help, and all hell breaks loose for three strangers connected by bad luck, a twist of fate, and a gun in a puddle 
of rain. In the middle of a dense criminal underworld, these strangers' lives collide on one fateful and bloody night in this epic novelistic thriller by yada, yada, yada. Matt Fraction. I don't care. I'm in. Yeah. I don't care. This is actually part of a series of hardcover novellas that they are putting out. No, no kidding. Uh, And I am very excited. And it ends with one night, one city, three women, November! (laughs) What else do you need to know? Wow. These are just a few of the comics in the new shelves at your LCS next week, but we want to hear about your must-read picks and your least favorite Legionnaires, too. Head to the THM forums. (laughs) I got a few. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you would like to hear us review on the show. Or, hey, novel idea, shoot us your comics. We'll review them. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I got got one from a guy. Be straight with you. They suck. Gonna tell you. All right, but if they're good, more accurately, if they suck, I might not review. We're gonna celebrate those too, and don't forget to pre-order all your comic book picks every week. It is the best and only way to truly help your local comic book store. I mean, paying for the things you order is also well. There's that pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing it. Yeah, not stealing from them. Sure. All right, I just or ordering things and not picking them up, which is um, epidemic. It's time to check in with our roving fantasy reporter, Wooly Toots, for the Swords and Scrolls Report. Ladies and gentle nerds, it's Toots time! Welcome back, fellow adventurers, to another Swords and Scrolls segment. It is I, Wooly Toots, who has failed his constitution saving throw and is a little sick right now, so excuse me. But I am here once again to lead you down shadow roads and into ancient dungeons where no superheroes reside. Today I wanted to speak with you about the fantasy sword and sorcery stories from the artistic team of writer Chris Claremont and artist John Bolton. Claremont, I'm sure you know from his famous X-Men work, and John Bolton, probably know from Books of Magic or Hellraiser, maybe. So let's go back, back to the early 80s, where Marvel Comics decides, hey, heavy metal magazine is a thing. Let's, Let's do our own version. We'll call it Epic Illustrated. It'll be an anthology series, mainly focusing on fantasy and science fiction stories and it won't have that annoying comics code authority badge on it so we can do adult stories explicit stories whatever we want in that series which started in 1980 and ran through uh, 1986 Chris Claremont and John Bolton team up to introduce a character called Marotta the She-Wolf they run her stories and Issues 10 to 12, as well as 22 and 23. In 2013, Titan Comics collected for the first time the entire series and uh, put it in a really cool hardcover collection. It features totally reworked artwork, fully restored. Uh, There's a brief history of the book uh, and some never-before-seen sketches and artwork as well. Now, Murata, 
or as she's also known as Star Hair, is a descendant of Caesar. She's a legendary warrior, and through the series she adventures across the Roman Empire together with her magical accomplice, Princess Arion Hod. I think that's how it's pronounced. And they battle demons, wizards, and all sorts of unearthly terrors throughout. Now, the thing to note about this series, Murata, as well as the other series I'm going to talk about today, they are both fantasy stories that are anchored in reality. One of them takes place in the Roman Empire. The other takes place in medieval Europe. So although there's magic and monsters and all this stuff, they're, they're rooted, they're grounded. So it's not so fantastical of a story. The historical settings add a little bit of a reality or, you know, you know, a, a historic authenticity to them, which makes them feel more legendary, I guess. I truly enjoyed Murata from beginning to end. Although there are some tropes, they're minor, and they didn't bother me at all. The stories left me wanting more. Supposedly, there was going to be uh, a, a final story, and uh, they never got around to doing it, um, I'm, which is a shame because it's great adventure storytelling. Man, I just cannot get over John Bolton's artwork. Now, I'm not very familiar with him aside from seeing some work in an anthology here or there. Never really followed his artwork before. And what he did with this was, which coincidentally was his first work for Marvel. I believe it was uh, Ralph Macchio who uh, noticed his artwork and brought him on board. And he supposedly um, built clay models of the important characters, main characters, and posed them so that he could get the uh, drawings as perfect as possible with the lighting and positioning. And it really shows. It is breathtaking. Uh, his attention to historical armor and weapons, you know, what he evokes w w through his characters and the uh, events around them, it's so skillfully done. His scenes are just super powerful and, and subtle in, in their power at times. It's the star here, for sure. It's the star in both of these series, to tell you the truth. It's worth price alone. So I give Murata the She-Wolf three swords out of three. Spinning out of Epic Illustrated in 1982, Marvel decides, hey, let's do a comics imprint called Epic, and we're gonna let creators do whatever they want and it can be creator-owned property and they'll retain the rights to it. There'll be no Comics Code Authority again, so they can do whatever the heck they want. Now, this was not done before. I mean, this is 1982, man. Dark Horse doesn't come out till what, like 86 or something? And then you don't see Vertigo till early 90s and Image and all that stuff. So this is groundbreaking. And the titles, oh my gosh. Epic does, uh, just to name a few, Dreadstar, Coyote, Alien Legion, Gru, Starstruck. Uh, there's so many more. And the follow-up series to Murata that Chris Claremont and John Bolton bust out is called 
the Black Dragon. The Black Dragon ran as a six-issue limited series. Again, I'm reading a Titan Comics collection, hardcover collection. The book was published in 2014 and um, features a light amount of unseen artwork and sketches in the back as well. It's a medieval fantasy of magic and encroaching evil set in England shortly after the Norman conquest and it concerns a knight who you come to find out is unaware of his true self and uh, his connections to the immortal soul of England and the kingdom of the Fae. And to tie in some legendary characters from uh, English lore, Morgan Le Fay, King Arthur's sister, does make an appearance, as well as Robin Hood and his band of merry men's. I really wanted to like this series more than I did. It does start out very strong, and I was into it. But then by issue four, about halfway through the series, it takes a turn. I tried to stay focused, but I found myself drifting away from it. I fell asleep a bunch of times trying to read it. I had to put it down and pick it back up. It kind of was a slog to get through. So once again, the star of this book is John Bolton. And it's good that they did it in black and white because you can really see the detail of his artwork. And what's really interesting is he changes the, his high detailed artwork when you see creatures from the kingdom of the Fae and you see magic and you get a glimpse into that other world his line work becomes very sparse really gives it an otherworldly feel now that being said since I did enjoy the series at the start and Bolton's artwork is worth looking at I can only give the black dragon two swords out of three well, that's going to be it. Let's put the sword back in the sheath. Shling! And until we can meet once more on the road and share an ale. We'll catch you later, dudes. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 551. And it sounds like the scriptwriters are blowing the whistle on 552. Joe, while I make some phone calls to find lawyers for our lawyers, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? I will do that. This week's question was submitted by Phil Lee via the THN forums. Who's your favorite fake dick? That's fictional detective or private investigator for you perverts out there. To clarify... He's talking any genre or medium, whether it's DC's featureless flatfoot Rene Montoya, a.k.a. The Question, or Grand Master of the Mystery Writers of America, Walter Mosley's Gilded Ghetto Gumshoe Easy Rollins. That's a lot of G's. I can't wait to hear the name of all the dicks you nerds love. He's Woo! talking about TV, movies, podcasts, radio serials, uh, comic books. Yeah. Maybe I said that already. Video games. Favorite detectives. Everybody loves Favorite it. Fictional Everybody detectives. loves a fictional dick. I got my fake dick right now. <laughs> P.S. We need your question of the week. Suggestions. Yes, please. Shoot them to us anywhere you can find to a nerd. Twitter, Facebook, our 
phone number, 402-819-4894. Call us. Leave your question of the week. We'll play it. We won't read it. We'll play you saying it. Uh, Write it down on a piece of paper, tie it to a rock, and throw it at Matt's window. Don't do that. Please. I live underground. I beg you. In a stepped pyramid. Mm. Yes, that's right. His address is. If you're new to this show and you're thinking about ratting us out to the Justice Department, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com, but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap, baby. So we want to thank donors like Michael Richard, not that Michael Richard. Well, that's Michael Richard with an S. Yeah. Michael Richard. That's Michael Richards. Yeah. Who hit that donate button and he hit it hard. He did, too. Like a mother. Yeah. Goddamn, Michael Richards. Michael Richard. <laughs> Michael Richard. Yeah, not the one that dropped the N-bomb. No, no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Goran Parlov, artist of the upcoming Get Fury series with Garth Ennis. Dude had a stroke on Monday. Oh, shit. On last Monday. Goran Parlov's not even old. No, not really. He lost control of the left side of his body. Oh, God. Fortunately, his prognosis is very good, and Parlov says he's recovering nicely. Word to you, Goran. Take care of yourself, buddy. Jeez. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics so you aren't responsible for a blood vessel bursting in your retailer's brain. This is the Two-Headed Nerd! Signing off. Very thoughtful. <laughs>